Hi, I'm Tara G, your host of Frankly Speaking with Tara G. Welcome again to our virtual global gathering of phenomenal listeners. Yes, you! Fearsome and generous, humble and honest, in pursuit of new possibilities and purpose. Every week, we meet at this table for an hour to experience, inspire, educate, encourage, and empower each other. Through our joys and our lessons learned, we share topics that tradition tells us there's some things we just don't talk about. But here, here we live beyond both the judgment and the wreckage. We share aha moments and stories that have been left in our pockets for too long. Every week, we start right where we are. Although many of your voices will speak light into darkness, there is no insignificant person around this table. However, you must come dressed in your inner awesome, believing that impossible is merely a word to describe the degree of difficulty. You're listening to Radio Fairfax, Fairfax, Virginia, Cablecast on Cox and Verizon Files, Channel 37, and Comcast, Channel 27 in Reston. And we are webcast worldwide on the internet at www.radiofairfax.org every Saturday evening at 8 p.m. Should you miss us, no worries. You can hear our archive shows on Frankly Speaking with Tyra G podcast wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. And if you feel like connecting with me offline, that's easy. Email me at Tyra at TyraGarlington.com. Thanks so much for tuning in. And thank you, Courtney Nero, for composing and performing our Frankly Speaking theme song and for naming it I'm listening. This week, we revisit one of our most popular themes called, Were It Not For Those Who Care. Now, I love this space because we get to hear stories from and about people who work and care in places that require a servant's heart in order to reap successful outcomes for others in need. These stories are meant to inspire, empower, and educate. And sometimes stories just need telling, and this is one of those. So we start this evening with a twist to create our common thought space for today. Now, in the words of Isabel Wilkerson in her interview with Krista Tippett on NPR entitled, The Heart is the Last Frontier. And I quote, with all due respect, I can't want to. Now, for some, this is the best of times. For others, it feels like the worst of times. For the wise, it is one season in the course of history. For others, it feels like an impending eternity of uncertainty. Words such as us and them no longer define diversity, but decree exclusion. Anger has become the overcoat that keeps our raw fear warm. 
Our country is like a really old house, and I love old houses. I've always lived in old houses. But old houses need a lot of work, and the work is never done. And just when you think you've finished one renovation, it's time to do something else. Something else has gone wrong. And you may not want to go into that basement, but if you really don't go into that basement, it's at your own peril. And I think that whatever you are ignoring is not going away. Whatever you're ignoring is only going to get worse. Whatever you're ignoring will be there to be reckoned with until you reckon with it. And I think that's where we're called upon to do where we are right now. We cannot diagnose a problem until we know the history of the problem that we're trying to resolve. We must go down into our metaphysical, excuse me, metaphorical basement and not only look at, but see the historical cause and effects of injustice. And we have to want change. Then and only then can we make humanity saving decisions. We must intentionally add radical empathy to our solution. It's the only thing that can free us from the twin barriers to understanding guilt and shame. Empathy is not pity or sympathy in which you're looking down on someone and feeling sorry for them. With sympathy, you may be looking across at someone and feeling bad for them. However, empathy means getting inside of them and understanding their reality and looking at their situation and saying not what I would do if I were in their position, but what are they doing? Why are they doing what they are doing from the perspective of what they have endured? So, with all due respect, I can't want to. I am unable to believe this is the best we can do for and with each other. I can't want to give up on the power of empathy, love, forgiveness, hope, and joy. I can't want to believe the basement is where we must relegate the rest of our history. And I can't want to believe that I'm alone. My guest this evening joins Isabel Wilkerson by saying, I can want to. In fact, she has said, I will, and she is. I want you to welcome to the Frankly Speaking Table, Ms. Melissa Juarez, uh-oh, I did it again, Elhurst, from Deerfield, Illinois, and the Center for enriched living. Melissa, please share with our listening audience how you arrived at the place where we're having this conversation tonight. Tell us about your motivation. The mic is yours. Thank you, Tyra, so much for inviting me to be part of your podcast and for inviting me to walk into the basement and walk out of the basement. Um, so when you originally invited me, you, you gave me a couple questions to, to ponder, and 
one of those was, what's your inspiration? And there's a lot of things that inspire me, but one thing I kept coming back was, it's what I, my career, my job. I call it that because I think that's what people can relate to. I've been doing the same thing for, oh, 40 plus years. And what that is, is I work with um, individuals of all ages that have intellectual and developmental disabilities or IDD short. Mm -hmm. And for those of you that may not understand what that term means, there's other um, terms that people use. Neurodiverse is a very popular one right now. A lot of people use special needs. And then the term that very old school, not used any longer, and that's mental retardation. That's so right. Wait, we got to put a comma there. We okay. got to put a comma mm -hmm. there. We actually had to go and change it. We had to change it in state constitutions. No more retard. No more retard. We have to, we changed it to people first. Uh, exactly. Descriptions. People who have. Not people who, yes, yes, I just had to make that declaration because I had an opportunity to work in Richmond on that project. But anyway, I'm sorry. No, that's fine. You That that exactly. And when you say we made that change, I, I think that's important to emphasize people with disabilities made that change. Yes. They're the self-advocacy groups that are out there. Yes. They said, you know, no more R word. You know, we're done with it. We we don't want to be known as just that. We're a whole person, just like you, just like me. So we that's just something that we have. It doesn't make all of, you know the whole of us. So yeah, I think that was really important to to emphasize. And it's funny because when I was younger, I thought I was going to be a teacher. But when I graduated from high school, I didn't have means to go away to a four year college. So I ended up. Uh, going to my local teacher college, but I needed to work, and I needed to work full-time. So back in the day, we looked for jobs in the newspapers, and I saw this really, really cute ad mm -hmm. that said, do you want to work with kids in a beautiful setting in a nice town? Um, yeah, you bet. And, <laughs> and the job fit in with my school, so I went, I applied, I was hired, and it turned out to be these kids had intellectual and developmental disabilities, and that's kind of how I started my career, but it's, I call it a career, but it has been, I haven't been the teacher. The people with disabilities have been the teacher. I have had the privilege of learning so much from them throughout my different positions. I mean, I did go on and get my degree. Mm -hmm. I've held various positions, um, and like you mentioned, I do uh, work at um, a wonderful place called uh, the Center for Enriched Living. I'm the director of programs. But that's not really what I want to focus on. I want to focus on the people that come and get our services. And okay, before we do that, yeah. I want to just, um, oh, wow. Okay, what I want to go back to is something you said, because we have many paths that lead us uh, on our journey, right? And yours right. was a newspaper article that said children in a lovely setting, and you walked into that. So I want to pause just for a second. When you found out who your clients were going to be, what was your reaction? Okay, there you are, Melissa. You're young. You're ready to go. You want to give. What happened to you when you realized who you would be working with? You know, I, I have to reflect on that, and I really thought, I believe my first 
thought was, what did I get myself into? Uh huh. And my second thought was, I think I could do this. And, you know, back in the day, we, there wasn't, um, people with disabilities were not put into the same classrooms right. as typical students. So there was always that special bus, that special classroom. So you weren't really exposed. Like now, people are integrated into classrooms. People with disabilities are integrated. Um, they may have a, an aide with them at the school, but kids from an early age um, are becoming more aware. Also, employment. Um, more places are hiring uh, people with developmental disabilities, so they are out there. Um, not enough, in my opinion, but they are out there. But back in that day, I had no idea what I got myself into, but I felt that I was helping. I felt that I was doing something purposeful, mm -hmm. and I think that really mattered to me, and I kept with it. And I've seen a lot of change in the field, change for the positive. Uh -huh. I think that there's also been, yes, there's been changes for the positive, but we have such a long way to go. Yes, um, yes. yes. Yeah, and like I said, awareness is, is, is key. In fact, you know, throughout the years when I've told people what I do, uh, many times I would they would come up to me and go, oh, dear, you must be such a special person, or, you know, things like, oh, good for you. God bless you for taking care of these people. And, you know, I, it seems nice. It seems like that's a really nice phrase, but I've never really liked either one of those. I understand. Um, I really, yeah. I understand. But what, what's behind that, Melissa, and I, I know you already know it, behind that was us and them. That oh, definitely. You know, it was like those people, you're taking care of those people, so we don't have to. And I, you know, like because you were so uh, empath empathetic to them and you were doing for them, but you saw worthiness in the whole situation. That's somebody that's going, oh, you poor baby. I hate that. I just want you to know I hate that. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, thank you. I, I didn't use the word hate, but yeah, I never really liked it. And, and as I grew and I learned, um, you know, I found out that those people, like they referred to them, they have way more in common with us than than people realize. So I've kind of made it my my mission or my passion, mm -hmm. if you will, to mm -hmm. increase awareness that you know all persons th that have an intellectual or developmental disability. You know, making sure that people realize they have a lot to offer and they can really teach us. And if you think about it, Tyra. We probably all have a disability. Thank I mean, you. I know I do. I can't do numbers. <laughs> I'm not coordinated. I triple <laughs> my own feet. So if you really think about I, it. I'm directionally challenged. Around. Yeah. <laughs> I get lost a lot. Yeah. Oh, okay. So, yeah, see, we're, there you go. We just shared, you know, what our disabilities are. So right there, you know, common ground. And this awareness, it can happen organically or it can be like a, full part of a conversation i use the phrase you only know what you know mm -hmm. um, you know that comes to mind so so many people haven't had exposure to people with down syndrome or autism or cerebral palsy so i need to keep that in mind and um kind of ease into the topic and then it's interesting because if you you start talking to someone and we, we found this with employers they Everybody knows somebody that knows somebody with a disability. It's kind of like the, the six degrees. Yes. So you're not too far off with really, you know, knowing someone either in your own family mm -hmm. or in your neighborhood mm -hmm. or at your 
place. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So I think another another term or these terms that I've seen uh, in today's world, um, many workplaces now include the terms um, diversity, yes. equity, inclusion, and belonging. Um, you know, businesses have separate departments. They focus on uh, developing policies. I know there's consultants that come to the workplace. They'll train you on all of this. And I think it's a good step in the right direction, but, and there's a but, mm-hmm. <laughs> from, from my experience, and I only speak from my experience, in these conversations, people with developmental disabilities are still overlooked. They, they are at the bottom of the list of people that they want to bring to the table to discuss diversity, equity, inclusion. And, you know, let me give you an example um, of a recent situation. And it's, it's um, kind of a traumatic situation, so I'll just say that. Okay. Um, and it ends okay. So the um, organization I work for, Center for Rich Living, is uh, less than five miles from the city of Highland Park, Illinois. Uh-oh. And the town may sound familiar because it was the site of the July 4th mass shooting. Yes. Um, Yes. Okay. So many families we serve and many individuals, they live in Highland Park. Our staff live in that area. So, of course, a lot of them were at that parade. And there was one young man who we support in um, employment. He has a job in the, in the area, and, and we support him there. He was actually at the parade and witnessed the shooting. So oh, dear. When, oh, dear. Yeah. So when he went to work on Tuesday... Um, he works at a large pharmaceutical company in the area. And so he goes to work, and, you know, every, of course, everyone is talking about it. And like everyone else, he engaged in the conversation about the incident. Um, and our organization, my organization, we got a call from the HR department from this pharmaceutical company asking if we could send somebody over. They were very concerned about him, didn't know what to do. And, of course, I'm thinking, oh, my gosh had a breakdown you know Mm -hmm. all this talking so we actually sent two staff over there and when they got there he was fine he was working he was doing his job and they asked him like what what's going on did you speak to anyone and he said well yeah just a group of people we were all talking about it and i told them what i saw and all fairness to this company this this gentleman has autism Mm -hmm. and when he he's very factual Mm -hmm. and he's to the point Mm -hmm. there's um there's little or no affect right, right. to his face, no facial. Like, you can tell him just won a million dollars, and you could tell him uh, that his dog died, and it's, you're going to see the same reaction right. on his face. And that's his one of the attributes yeah. of the spectrum, autism, yeah. But everybody doesn't have Correct. the same attribute, but apparently he did, right? Correct. Oh, yeah, he, he did, and he was just very factual and to the point. Um and so I'm sure that this kind of response to a situation as serious as this probably concerned his coworkers um, because it would seem typical for a person to be visibly upset over witnessing this, and he just didn't appear to be upset at all. So finally, you know, we, we determined he was fine, and we, the people came back, and then we contacted the H person and just followed up, and we asked what the company was doing for the other employees. And the HR person told us, well, we have an EAP, we're referring them, we have support groups, we're bringing in facilitators, but they really didn't know what to do with this man with autism. Oh. Could they have referred him to the same resources for assistance? 
I think they could, but they just, you know, I think they panicked maybe and didn't see him as an equal part of their employees. So in terms of equity and inclusion, I, I you know, I think we, we spoke to them. It, it turned out okay, but the initial reaction was us and them, like you started out with, us and them. Melissa, let me ask you something. Um, in terms of preparing his work site where he was, what kinds of things did the center, uh, did your center do with the employer who would be working with him to prepare them for his affect, for how he might respond? Was there training for them to help him now, he was probably not even affected, as you said, by their response, but they were affected by his response. So was there training from your center on what to expect and not res- not to expect from him? It, yes, um, there is. Anytime we, we um, for lack of a better term, place a person in a community job, um, we do kind of a, an awareness training of, of all disabilities. And then, depending upon... Uh, specific personal issues this person may have, whether it could be they have to take medication at a certain time, they need directions written for them, whatever their uh, best way to help them succeed, personal points, we would do that. So in this situation, the pharmaceutical company contracts out with other um, organizations like for food service and mailroom things. So we trained the company they contracted out not so much the pharmaceutical HR company or the pharmaceutical HR department so we most of the training had taken place with with the contractors however because the situation um, with the shooting was affecting all employees that's why the HR person um, got involved now we did offer to come out and um, do a workshop a, a little awareness training um, and she said she would let know if they feel they needed it so again i think more awareness your point more awareness yeah for, um, yeah yeah for for all employers um and other and all everybody in the company too would would be probably very helpful that's what so see that's what i was thinking about field. yeah because if your job well no if your goal in life in this space is awareness um maybe leveraging um, through the management, uh, I don't know how you would do it, but to just have uh, like a little symposium, uh, this is who we are, and this is like, I looked up this, this statistic, I think it was, oh, I'll find it before the show is over again, how many people with disabilities are in America, and and these were the only, oh. these are the ones who were only diagnosed, I'm sure you know. Um, it's something point something million. I'll find it. Anyway, um, they people need to know. There are people, oh, and this is the other thing I found out, Melissa. I know this is kind of off topic. I was just fooling around about what is the great, greatest disability, right? And guess what it okay. is? Depression. How about that? Oh, my, yeah. Yeah, depression. Two and a half years. (laughs) Yes. And then number two was hearing uh, disability and vision disabilities, not intellectual disabilities. You hear what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. 
I hear you loud and clear. So with right, the, exactly. Yeah. Okay. So, um, all right. So now I'm advocating. Look at me already. I'm advocating. Here it is. <laughs> I found it. Six point five million people in the U.S have intellectual disabilities. And that is not a right statement. That's only those that have been diagnosed, in my opinion. I think there are a lot of people that haven't been diagnosed. Um, oh, and oh, definitely, definitely. We, yeah, and we need to talk about a couple of things. I don't want to interrupt your flow, though. Uh, uh, children, parents who don't want to have their children diagnosed and therefore miss out on services that are available while they're in school, and then they age out, you know, and then they're kind of left in this la-la land of finding their way. Definitely. Yeah, so go ahead. I'm sorry to interrupt, but I'm a bit passionate. I guess everybody knows that about now. No, let's go back to what, then that's okay. I can throw a dart, and we'll, we'll talk about whatever you land on. So back to that topic, um, I don't have the figures on this, but... There are many individuals, I would say, between the ages of 40 and uh, probably 55 that are sitting at home with their fam- with their parents or parents that are aging um, in their 80s, uh, you know, yes. older. Yes. And there is no one left to take care of them So w- when, the, when, the fam- when the parents die. So what generally happens is a neighbor will notice that there's been no activity at the house or if the person goes to uh, the grocery store once a week, they notice that, you know, they haven't come. Any, they'll call, and then the police will have to come in. And, unfortunately, the person with a disability will get placed in the first agency that has an open bed. And that's their whole life that they've been, you know, these four walls that they've been in for the last 40, 50 years is gone from them. And now they're put in a home yes. with another roommate and everything is is so different so it is so important to um take advantage of the services that your states have now i live in illinois mm-hmm. and unfortunately i think we are 48th oh in my the goodness states, it is so embarrassing of how money is spent on people with developmental disabilities oh that was the other I thing they, i wanted yeah. to talk to you about mm-hmm. i looked up um, and they and I said, why is it? And they said, um, bah, 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 bah. oh, funding for research is here. It is okay. It, this is from uh, psych, psychiatry.org, and it says okay. uh, it, it it defines intellectual functioning and adaptive functioning. Those things go wrong, but most uh, of the issues come from funding if you don't have enough funding in an area like it's easier to fund autism right than it is because it's easier for them to do research with people that are lesser on the spectrum than greater on the spectrum so people with intellectual disabilities are difficult to study because of the fact that they have now intellectual functioning and adaptive functioning to a degree that they feel which i think is incorrect unable there i don't know I guess it's political. That's what it is. Well, yeah, I was, you know, another word with that would be, um, you know, lobbying. Yeah, and okay. Unfortunately, so many people with IDD don't have that verbal voice. Yes. And so they have to rely on others to speak for them. Yes. Now, there are a few 
lots of agencies and policy-making organizations. Um, Anchor is one. AAIDD is another. Those are policy-making lobbying agencies that, you know, go to Washington, D.C. And, and advocate for people with intellectual and developmental disabilities. However, there are so many lobbyists, and, of course, money talks. Yes. And, you know, they're competing with, you know, AARP and the NRA. Yes, and et cetera, yes. Et cetera, et cetera, yeah. You know, it, for for all of this. So, um, yeah, the, the, the more that we find, again, equity, the more we can yes. level the playing field and allow persons with all various kinds of disabilities to speak up and to listen, um, the, the I, people will become more aware. And there is technology. There's talkers and there's picture cards. There's a ton of technology out there, unfortunately. It costs money. So yes. we're right back to funding and money once again. Absolutely. I remember when I was, remember I said vision and hearing after depression. I Absolutely. used to uh, drive uh, one of our top uh, programmers to IBM every morning, and he had assisted technology and everything else, <clears throat> pardon me, because he could be productive, and he was communicable, you know. So um, mm-hmm. I think you're right on who do we have available to give a voice, and once they have the voice, when they go to the to the people that make the money choices, i.e. Washington, uh, who are they competing with? And yes. Right. There it is. Right. Okay. Uh, yeah. I think another one of your points, too, about, you know, taking advantage of what the schools have to offer. Um, schools have a lot of support. They have a lot of technology. However, um, when a person with a developmental disability turns age 22, they can stay in school up through age 22. Mm-hmm. But then that's it. all of that support, all of that funding, any technology that was given to them that is schools it is cut off and they use the phrase um it's like you fell off a cliff now what and all families are given um you know training by the social workers and whatnot about okay sign up for this and go check out these adult daycare centers go do this Mm -hmm. it's a lot families are burdened and so they may not understand every single hoop you need to jump through so you know we we see that all the time families will come to us and you know they say we haven't done all of this can you help us so we're actually at my organization we are actually going to hire um an lcsw a social worker mm-hmm. uh, hopefully by this fall to start our new uh, health and wellness program so that we can help families kind of in crisis or individuals in crisis through counseling through group, group counseling uh just walking them through the transition phase from you know school to adulthood uh, for their son daughter with a disability um so we hope that that will help like you said you know get people out of their home and 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 plan a better future um for their son or daughter and there are two things that we are staying i think the reason we're staying in this space is because it's probably really critical to talk about and age 22 off the cliff and not even getting that far i think after if they haven't been declared and diagnosed in a younger year, they wouldn't have been getting the services throughout school age, right? Correct. And let, yes, until they're diagnosed, they're not going to get the services. And it could be 
a teacher that notices something okay. that, um, you know, down with the family. It, it may not just be the family that, that asks for the diagnosis. Okay. And then um, the next thing I want to talk about, you have mentioned they find themselves in a room with four walls and a roommate. We're talking about group homes. And I think we ought to uh, at least share with the audience the difficulty in placing or having a group home in neighborhoods, like not in my backyard mentality of the people in the community. Has your center run into that or well, we um, currently do not offer residential services. We are more um, of a community-based. So we offer, like, social and recreational program. Okay. We offer, our, an, a, like, an adult day program. So after after they graduate from school, they can come, and half the day is fun, but half the day is learning. And then we also do employment, um, placing people in community jobs for competitive wages. And then we are going to add... Um, our, our health and, and um, wellness, our mental health and wellness program. But back to residential, we have had many families beg us to start uh, with a residential program. But again, um, that's a lot of work. You're staffing 24-7 for a lot of these programs. Yep. And one of the biggest issues right now nationwide, not just here in Illinois, is the shortage in staffing. Yes, um, yes. This, is, this goes for not just this population. Nursing homes are feeling it. Caregivers in, in people's homes, um, you know, personal caregivers for, let's say your parent has dementia and you, you want to bring a caregiver in. Um, healthcare workers, all of those are experiencing an extreme shortage um, of staff, and that's really, really affecting the level of quality. Yes, of it is. Yes, it is. Our individual receiving so recently and just recently um within a couple days um these agencies um human services research institute yes the the university of minnesota institute on community integration Mm -hmm. and then national association of state directors of developmental disability services they published a study called community supports in crisis no staff no services and um, they sent out to, across the United States, many agencies that are providing any types of services, but just what, it's kind of like a, a white paper to study, but then they come up with um, ideas and possible solutions, things like, um, you know, pass federal legislation to increase wages, which, again, paid very low. It's one of the lowest paying positions, care workers, direct care yes. workers, or DSPs, as they're called direct support professionals, um, enhanced training. Um, and in my simple terms, increase awareness would be back to that awareness thing. Increase awareness that this job is valuable. It's not a job that everyone can do. But I think we need to, you know, amp it up a bit to make it, um, to stress the importance of it. It's a, it's a life changer. You're caring for someone. You're teaching people new skills. You're, you're enhancing their quality of life. But you know what you said that, uh, well, three things I wanted to hook on to. Uh, one, I was 
when I first asked the question, and I didn't interrupt you because you immediately answered my next question, which was, <laughs> what? I'm a mind Yes, you are. <laughs> I wanted you to tell me what the Center for Enriched Learning did, what it is doing now, which you just roll right into. But the other thing I was going to ask you, which you also answered partially, was your awareness of group homes in your area, in the state, and the difficulty or not of them finding neighborhoods that were welcoming to them. That was my, uh, right. that was my uh, observation uh, when um, I spent a year working with uh, the subject matter, that uh, people were willing to have group homes, to run group homes, and this was when they had staff. Also, um, before coming, I went to visit someone in a rehab center, and uh, that's up close and personal. Uh, they are really understaffed. It is very difficult. And just like you were saying, 24-7 care in nursing homes and any place where you have someone staying overnight that needs care. And we, I don't know what we can do as a society. That's what I started out with. I can't want to. You know, as long as we don't have to look at it and it's not in our face or it's not one of our people or our relatives, we seem not so motivated to do creative problem solving. And it sounds like, and I want you to talk more about your idea, the center's next step, if you will, um, that you started to talk about, and then we went off somewhere else. Yeah, there's, <laughs> there's so much to cover. And, and let me, before I do that, let me go back to your point of group homes. I, what I have seen over the past 20 years uh -huh. is more communities are, are actually welcoming or becoming uh, more tolerant, for lack of a better term. Okay. Uh, communities have zoning um, guidelines, and as long as the homes meet those zoning guidelines, no one can stop an agency from having a home right in the community. Now, that said, neighbors don't have to be neighborly. That's right. Still, yeah, that still happens, but communities now are more... Um, open to um, having um, agencies have group homes. Now, Illinois is also one of the few states left in um, the United States that have state institutions. So we have huge, two to 300 residents in a large building. Um, I think we have four or five of them still in the state of Illinois. So oh, my goodness. There are those. I know. I we are, so, we are so progressive in so many areas except for for this one, but um, yeah, so there are there are a lot of the positives. Here. There are a lot of other ways that you can have um, residential programs. There are caregivers coming into homes. Mm -hmm. There are technologies that you can build homes on. So there are um, progressive ways to do that. There are agencies. You know how you have senior communities. Yes, yes. Where mm -hmm. you know are making communities like that for people with developmental disabilities. Some say that's progress. Some say it's not, you know, you're not being included. You can go back and forth on that. But I think we're making a little bit of progress, but staffing is still an issue. Um, yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. So back to now, uh, <laughs> forward to what is my organization going to do? Well, yeah. I think it's important to mention that we were founded by families that wanted, wanted to eliminate social isolation. Okay. And two and a half years ago, no one knew what that term meant. 
But when COVID hit and everyone was socially isolated. How about that? Yes. How about that? So here, you know, the uh, the Center for Enriched Living was way ahead of its time in combating social isolation. So we're all about friendships, relationships, connecting people with, you know, with their interests. Like we run art classes and music classes and cooking classes and game night and bingo and all kinds of things. We go to the summer festivals. We go down to the city of Chicago. Um, you know, we go to, we oh, we went to the Bears training camp. Uh, oh. Chicago Bears. It's almost football season, yes. uh, which I'm very happy about. Um, so, yeah, we do things just like you and I do, Tyra, on our weekends and our weekdays. Yes. So that's what, how we were founded. And we've expanded over the last, I'd say, 10 years in offering more services. And our latest one, which, again, like I said, we hope to open in the fall, is our, our mental health and wellness, uh, starting with a social worker, but then hoping to bring on, um, you know, like an art therapist and a music therapist, uh, uh, someone that's the BCBA, who uh, is a certified behavior analyst who would help us, um, you know, support individuals that, that have some behaviors that interfere with them being successful in whatever they're trying to do. So we want to really expand our services in that way, and we, we uh, hope to be able to serve more uh, folks in the community. You know what? I'm I wish I could wiggle my nose and make it happen for mm-hmm. you but my nose hasn't been that efficient. Let me ask you something. That's forward looking, that's programs, that's program delivery, diversity, inclusion, equity. How do you get your funding and how are you going to manage this? Sure. Well, I have during like I said I've been in this field for 40 plus years and um I have been at I'll call it the center for 15 years prior to that i worked in licensed organizations that received their funding from the state okay um, they also had to do some fundraising yes this my center now we are not state funded we are not licensed we are accredited by the council on um quality and leadership however we do all of our own fundraising we charge a fee for our services but we also uh, have financial aid or scholarship for those that can't afford it mm-hmm. um but we have a very, very uh, wonderful, fantastic development department or fundraising department. We have two um, big fundraisers um, uh, each year, and then we have um, donors and grants and sponsors, and we rely heavily on the generosity of um, our donors to keep us uh, going. So that's how, that's how we um, manage to stay afloat and it's been working uh, it's been around for 50 plus years so um we we are not going to change um how we're doing things yet in terms of uh, getting our dollars it's it's worked quite well well that's another congratulations congratulations i tell you that model uh and I'm, I'm hoping that those blessings continue for you uh because apparently what you're doing is so well suited for the needs and your clients i'm calling them clients what do you call the people you serve we call them members okay Um, they're a member of the community center for enriched living so we call them members all right there's your inclusion huh there you go (laughs) well let me do this yeah let me ask you uh and we didn't even talk about this let me ask you to think about some a story that's happened, say, in the past year 
that just really made your heart jump and smile, something special that happened as a result of center activity or as a result of one of your uh, members, uh, something you're really proud of. Oh, my gosh. There's, you know, um, you, it sounds like you work for our um, fundraising department. They always are looking for stories. <laughs> and the, and it's, it's so funny. It's making me laugh. We, we, you know, we say, you know what? We do our job. We see these stories every single day. Um, I think the one of the one of the best stories has to be um you know we had to close down um because of covid like many other yes. um, organizations we did go to virtual programs but not all of our individuals had the skill to manage um a computer they didn't have the attention span uh to sit in front of it so yes. that eliminated a lot of individuals that we served but as things began to open um, more and more people started to come back, but then even when we came back, those that couldn't wear masks for various reasons, they yes. couldn't come back. Well, finally, we've been beginning to open. And some of the comments that um, that our, our members say when they come back or just, you know, watching um, um, friends see each other for the first time in person and just the joy on their face. They run up to each other and hug one another. Um, and one young woman, um, her name is Allie, um, she is full of energy, and she, when she found out she could come back, um, she, she said, this is the best news ever. I am just so happy, and she comes running in and um, just hugs everyone. So, again, I don't know if it is, you know, it's not one story, but it's the story of seeing their faces. Yes. Um, when they do come back into the building and see the staff and see the, the their friends and start to take part in the life they loved before we had to shut our doors. It means so much for, for people that think that, oh, well, they doesn't make a difference. They're not going to know. They do know. You, could, you can just see it. You can feel it. I like to say when you come visit um, our actual building, the moment you walk in, there's such a good vibe. It is such this feeling of belonging and welcoming, and right there, just looking around at their faces um, at different programs. And we're on programs seven days a week, afternoon, evening, morning, um, you know, for however many that I came to visit or took part in, there was always just some yelling, some hugging, some smiling. So it's such a, a feel good and, and just um, you uh, glad to go to work. So, yeah. You know, I, I, I always believe this, that uh, there's God in each and every one of us, right? And if there's right. God, there is love, and there's light, and there's joy. It just gets expressed differently, right? And uh, I, have, I have had some of my most tender moments uh, as a teacher and a principal and a counselor uh, with uh, children who appeared to have less than in some area or another, right? And it's like they didn't know it. So they came with sunshine, and I love that. And I, I find um, I, I had a joy working with a couple of uh, young people with Down syndrome, and I, I just fell in love with their hearts. The most. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. Oh, my goodness. Yep. Oh, my goodness. And I just... I don't know. I'm going to ask you this question. 
What would you do? We're talking about these kids with love and what you want to give and what you are giving. What would you do if you knew you could not fail? I think with if, if I have to relate it to the organization that I work at, um, I think I would start a residential program. I know that our CEO is probably, if she hears me, she is just going to go, oh, my gosh. Um, but I, I think if I knew I couldn't fail and I knew to be successful. This is your dream question. Uh, you can yes. dream whatever you want, right? Yes. I, I, I think that um, I that we could do it. We could do it well. We could do it different. Uh, we would have involved families and uh, would certainly fill that need. It would fill a gap. Um, and, there's, you know, although there are many, there's still not enough. So that's what I would do if I knew I couldn't fail. Well, guess what? We're going to kind of grab into some possibility thinking that there will come a day soon that the Center for Enriched Living will take a step into the residential space for offering their services. And now you have an opportunity to share uh, the letter that you wrote, and Melissa did something different. Those of you who are regular listeners know that I ask uh, my guests to write a letter to their younger selves to be read at this time in the program. And I said, but you know what, Melissa, maybe you have something you want to share with other people about something. So I said, so why don't you decide, why don't you write whatever you want to write? And so we're going to listen to, what are we going to listen to, Melissa? Okay. <laughs> oh, thank you, Tyra, once again. Um, yeah, so this is a letter not only to myself, but to others that are looking for a purpose. Um, dear who's ever listening, and myself, well, you didn't become an official teacher, but that's okay. You are a teacher of another sort. In fact, you have even learned some lessons in humanity that you try to pass on to others. You believe that everyone should be valued. Along the way, you have tried to find ways to make everyone feel good about what they bring to the table. You work hard at trying to live by a quote from one of your favorite TV shows, Ted Lasso. That <laughs> quote is, be curious, not judgmental. People often underestimated you, and people often underestimate people with intellectual and developmental disabilities. They think they know what folks can and can't do, so they don't ask questions. Get people to be curious. Be a good listener. Don't listen to talk and respond. Listen to listen. This will help find the value in everyone you talk to. I came across this word the other day, and it really resonated with me. Ubuntu. Ubuntu means I am because you are, you are because I am. Mm. It is a deep African custom. For example, we live off the breath of plants. I am because you are. And the plants live off our exhaling air. You are because I am. In other words, we need each other to be complete. Be grateful for what you have learned from others, be it bad or good. Try and learn something new each day. You learn what not to do as well as what good to do from each encounter you have. And lastly, make bed. This is something my mom always told us to do, and she's right. It does help the day started, and it makes the room look good. It doesn't really have anything to do with what I've been saying, 
But today is my mom's heavenly birthday, so I just thought I would honor her by putting that in there. And I'm sure you're wondering, so I'll tell you. I rarely miss making my bed on a daily basis. <laughs> Once again, Tyra, thank you so much for having me. Oh, Melissa, what joy. My heart is smiling. I want to repeat this again. I am because you are. You are because I am. We yeah. are. Yeah. Yeah, it's been wonderful. Melissa, since uh, fundraising is something that you're doing, um, if people want to get in touch with you and talk about your story and understand more about this space, uh, how do they do that? How would they reach you? Sure. The best way to reach me is to go to our website, Center for, F-O-R, Enriched Living, all one word, dot org, O-R-G, and they have all the staff listed there and um, emails as well as phone numbers. Um, so that would be one way. Another way is I can give you my, my email address, um, Melissa, M-E-L-I-S-S-A, at centerforenrichedliving.org. All right. I think your CEO won't be upset that you had a dream, that (laughs) you have a dream. In fact, I think anyone who understands uh, your members and others like them would have a dream like that, where they could get the love, support, empowerment, encouragement that they need. I wish that for them as well. Ah, my guests, Ms. Melissa Juarez. Now, say your last name right this time. Uh, Ailers. Oh, I was close. Ailers. Ailers. All right. Look at there. Director of Program Services for the Center for Enriched Living. And I want to offer some words for those of you who don't have to have a anything wrong with you as diagnosed, but maybe you're just tired of being tired. Maybe you ask yourself, is this all there is? Well, I wanna I wanna leave this with you as some soul food for your spirit. It's entitled, There's Always More. It's from a book called Until Today, Iyana Bansan, Life Coach. If by chance no one told you that they love you today, I would be honored to be the first to say, I love you today. I love you because you, excuse me, You are and have been so willing to grow, and my, how you've grown. You've grown from struggling to searching, from trying to do something, to learning how to do something. You've grown from fear to having faith, to demonstrating your courage. You have grown in many ways consistently, demonstrating your willingness and courage to take the next step the step forward, the profound and divine wisdom buried within yourself, the step toward knowing more about yourself. This is exactly why I love you. You are profoundly designed. Growth is a very profound experience. It can be beautiful and ugly, empowering and confining, thought-provoking and mind-boggling, pleasant and unpleasant, all at the same time. Just when you got it, 
life seems to say, well, now take this and you do. Then the minute you're ready to throw up your hands, give up or beat up on yourself for doing the same thing in the same way, ending up in the same place again, you realize you've really not done so badly after all. You know you've grown when you can meet a challenge, an obstacle, or a difficulty without totally losing it. Somehow, some way in the growth process, you have come upon the understanding that the more you grow, the more you know, the more you're encouraged to grow and know. There is so much more of you waiting to unfold. You've been listening to Radio Fairfax, Fairfax, Virginia. Cablecast, excuse me, on Cox and Verizon Files, Channel 37 and Comcast, Channel 27 and Reston. And webcast worldwide on the internet at www.radiofairfax.org every Saturday evening. Your seat at the table is guaranteed. I look forward to the next time. Until then, remember... You are worthy. You are stronger than you feel, smarter than you think, more beautiful than you know, and more loved than you can ever imagine. You are chosen. You are intentional, intentionally here. You're important. Please treat yourself like someone you love. I love you. This is Tyra G. Until the next time.